Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. The show you're about to listen to was first broadcast August the 18th, 2014. Hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. How you doing? Come on in. Come on in. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard and welcome to St. Louis, Missouri. Ooh, you've been reading about us in the newspaper, seeing us on television? Yeah, we're not too happy about that. We live about 25 miles, 20-25 miles west of Ferguson. It's very sad what's happening there. Hopefully most of it is over now, but we have known people that live in Ferguson probably still know a few that live there. It's an older part of town, but it uh, has some beautiful old stately homes, big brick homes built in the 20s. So our thoughts and uh, our prayers are with the folks there, and hopefully everything will be okay. Tonight, we are going to play some encore presentations of shows I think we originally played in 2010. Carol and I are going on vacation We are taking a week to go to our son's wedding. Our oldest son, Seth, is marrying the lovely Laureen. The wedding, even though they live in Chicago, is taking place in Washington State, just near the Oregon line in a beautiful, beautiful part of the country. So we're heading out there, so I thought that uh, I would save a little time this week by playing some encore presentations. I handpicked them, and I think you're really going to enjoy them. So... Put your feet up, settle back, and we're going to get started in just a minute.
Well, to get us started off this week, we're going to go back to a program I did in 2010 where I played an episode of Tales of the Texas Rangers. And the comments that you're going to hear are comments I made before and after the show when I played it back then. You'll see I used to always uh, enjoy poking fun at, uh, what is it, Captain Lone Wolf Gonzalez, who was theoretically the Texas Ranger who inspired this whole program. Hope you enjoy it. There's a yellow rose in Texas that I am going to see. No other soldier knows her, no soldier, only me. She cried so when I left her, it like to broke my heart. And if I ever find her, we never more will part. She's the sweetest rose of color the soldier ever knew. Her eyes are bright as diamonds, they sparkle like the dew. You may talk about your dearest May, sing a rose of me, but the yellow rose of Texas is the only one for me. Tales of the Texas Rangers. start off tonight by going down to Texas, everybody, and listening to one of those great tales of the Texas Rangers featuring Joel McRae. And what a cast we have in this one tonight. Tony Barreth is in it, Eddie Marr, Gerald Moore, Ed Bagley. We're going to talk about Ed Bagley at the end of the show. Jeanette Nolan, my favorite. I'll tell you. And of course, the whole thing was inspired by Captain M.T. Lone Wolf Gonzalez. And Chester was just telling me before we went went on the air here that which I did not know that Captain MT Lone Wolf Gonzalez was a woman. Ma Chester, you're from Texas. Did you uh, did you ever know Sheriff Lone Wolf Gonzalez? <laughs> what what is that funny? <laughs> Seriously, if you knew her, what was Sheriff Gonzalez like? That woman must wear leather underwear. <laughs> she she was pretty tough, huh? My, I'd sure hate to have her on my tail. Why were people so afraid of her? Well, she's wearing a six gun. Oh. I take it she was a, a big, intimidating woman? And built like a buffalo. Uh, I don't believe you, Chester. <laughs> You're pulling my leg. Uh, he's always doing that. Oh, well, listen, uh, before we roll, uh, Texas Rangers, do you have the coffee ready? I don't know anything I'd rather have right now than this coffee. Good coffee, huh? It's true. Chester makes great coffee. Let me take a sip here. Ooh, bold. Oh, look at there. Very bold, and it's very tasty. Okay, let's get started. Here we go. From November 25th, 1951, here's Joel McRae in Tales of the Texas Rangers, and the name of this episode is Blow Off. 
The National Broadcasting Company presents Joel McRae in Tales of the Texas Rangers. From Hollywood, another authentic reenactment of a case transcribed from the files of the Texas Rangers. of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. Texas, more than 260,000 square miles, and 50 men who make up the most famous and oldest law enforcement body in North America. files of the Texas Rangers come these stories based on fact. Only names, dates, and places are fictitious for obvious reasons. The events themselves are a matter of record. Case for tonight, the blow-off. It is approximately 11 p.m. June 16, 1947. Aaron Courtright is watering the gravel apron of his mobile gas station at the intersection of a farm road and Highway 75, a few miles south of Glenwood, Texas. A car drives up to the pumps. Um... Yeah, howdy, folks. Howdy. Fill her up. You betcha. Hey, you got a telephone here? Yep. Over in the office there. Better try that call again, Bill. Okay. Yeah, just take me a second. Coil up this hose and I'll be right with you. Yeah, pretty night, ain't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure is. Yeah, there we are. Uh, fill her up, you see? Yeah, with special. Oh, sorry, mister. Truck busted the handle off the hand pump on my special. Uh, regular be all right? I got no choice, have I? My car's about empty. <laughs> Taking kind of a chance, weren't you? Why, what do you mean? Yeah, it's about to close up. Next station is better than 30 miles away ahead. Well, we made it. That's what counts. Look, can't you hurry it up? Oh, sure, sure, man. Hey, what's she doing in there? Hey, hey, you get away from that cash drawer. Never mind her. Just hope this gun don't blow your head off. Now, shove that nozzle into the tank. You ain't getting my money, you old fool. Hey, get out here. Kill you with a hose hey, nozzle. Blame right, I will. Yeah, it ain't me that's getting killed. <laughs> Get to the car, quick. You dummy. Me? I got the dough, didn't I? What'd you go for it so soon for? I didn't get a chance to get any gas in the tank. You had plenty of time to get gas. How'd I know you were going to stand there gabbing instead? Now what do we do? Try to make it through the next station. What a spot, Duke Bishop, the smart operator. Ah, shut up, will you? That don't help. I'll think of something. That's the end of the gas. How far we come? 10, 11 miles. Let's flag us a ride and get out of here. And leave the car? Wouldn't that be smart? Like leaving our calling cards pinned to that stiff back there. This buggy's ours, don't forget. Well, can't we take the license plates off and ditch them or something? Oh, why does a woman have to be so dumb? There's a motor number. You can't get rid of that. Come on, pile out. Wait a minute. I got an idea. What? Know how we'll get some gas? 
pal. Dig us an oil well? No, no. We're going to play it smart. We're going to catch a ride back to that filling station and discover a murder. Sure appreciate the ride. Duke. Yeah? Light's still on. No cars around. Don't look like anybody's been here. Well, you can't tell. It's been over a half hour. Hey, we're in luck. It's working out just right. Nobody has been here. He's lying just like we left him. There's some gas cans, Duke. Let's pump one full and get out of here. We can't do that. Why not? Because the guy that picked us up and dumped us out across the highway would remember us, sure. But you said we were coming back to get gas. I said we're coming back to discover a murder. We're going to act like law-abiding citizens. Now, get in there. Telephone for the law. You're deliberately trying to get us burned. I'm trying to keep us out of the chair. Now, get in there on that phone quick. Here comes a couple of cars. Go on. What are you doing here, mister? Well, there's a dead man here. I I think he's been shot. My wife's inside calling the police. We've already been notified. I'm Sheriff Pruitt of Glenwood. man in that car behind me just came into town to report it. Oh, well, this is terrible, Sheriff. A hold-up, do you suppose? Probably. Ask your wife to step out here. Oh, sure, sure, of course. Oh, Belle, forget the telephone. The sheriff's here. What? I say the sheriff's here. Somebody else report this? Yeah, uh, this is Mrs. Bishop, Sheriff. Howdy, Howdy ma'am. Sheriff. How long have you two been here? Well, just a few minutes. Uh, got here just before you did. Now, where's your car? Ten, eleven miles down the line. Ran out of gas down there. You get a lift up here? Yeah. Charlie. Yeah? Charlie, is everything here just like it was when you drove in and discovered the body? Well, seems like, Sheriff. Near as I can tell. Any sign of these folks around when you stopped? Nobody was around except poor Jim... Laying on his face and all that blood. Ever see these folks before? No. Can't say I ever did. Okay. Did you touch anything here, Mr. Bishop? That uh, gas hose hanging unhooked there at the pump? The body? Of course not, Sheriff. We just discovered the body and tried to notify authorities. How about you, Miss Bishop? Oh, no. Well, just the telephone. All right. You can go back inside now if you'll be more comfortable, ma'am. Thank you, Sheriff. I'm afraid I am a little shaky. Uh... Look, Sheriff, this has been quite a shock to her. Couldn't we get some gas and ride back to our car so we can be on our way? I'm afraid not. I'm going to phone for the Rangers. You'll have to stay till they get here. In response to Sheriff Pruitt's call, Ranger Jace Pearson was assigned to the case. Within two hours, he had carefully gone over the available information and evidence. All right, Mr. Bishop. I guess that'll be all the questions for now. But before you and your wife leave, I'd like to have your full name and address in case we want to contact you later. Oh, glad to, Ranger. Here it is on my driver's license. John Bishop, 980 West Pamela Street, Corsicana. That's a shady rest. We we have an apartment. Well, you're headed away from Corsicana now. When will you be back? Well, I, I've got an appointment in Houston tomorrow about a job, but we'll be back home, oh, day after tomorrow. Anything we can do, Ranger, just let us know. Thanks. You've both been very helpful. Sheriff had his deputy over there get you a tin of gas. He'll run you down to your car. Oh, it's mighty nice of you, Sheriff. Glad to help out. Bye, Mr. Bishop. Bye. Bye, Ranger. Thanks again. Good night. Right decent folks, Jay. They sure seem to be. But a nasty case. Nothing to go on. Not much, apparently. But maybe we can turn something up. Got any ideas, Jase? Uh-huh. First off, I'm going to Radio Austin for the lab crew. Have them scour this place from top to bottom. <laughs> Thank you.
the lab crew went over Jim Courtright's station with a fine-tooth comb. While I waited for the lab report, I spent most of the next day searching the area for someone who might have seen a car or a suspicious action near the station the night before. I drew a complete blank and went back to the sheriff's office. Hi, Sheriff. Oh, hello, Jace. Thought you were never coming back. Find anything? No. Nobody seems to have been traveling Highway 75 last night. Lab boys didn't hit any jackpot either. Here's their report. Just came in. Hmm. Lab figures like we did that there was quite a scuffle before the shots were fired, but it don't mean much. No. But something in this fingerprint report might. You mean those matching prints found on the telephone receiver in the cash drawer? Uh-huh. Austin didn't have any record on whoever made them, so what good does that do? The report says they were fresh. These prints don't match the ones taken from the body, so they aren't court rights. Hey, wait a minute, Sheriff. Hmm? When you arrived at Courtright's station, Mrs. Bishop was at the telephone, wasn't she? Yeah, she was trying to call me. Well, then she was the last person to use the phone before those prints were pulled. Well, do you suppose that's her print on the phone? If it is, I'd sure like to know what its duplicate was doing on Courtright's cash drawer. Yeah, and Bishop said himself he was on his way down to Houston to see about a job. If he was unemployed and broke, well, that'd sure be a motive. I think we'd better run up to Corsicana tomorrow and sort of welcome Mr. and Mrs. Bishop when they get back from Houston. Late the next afternoon, Sheriff Pruitt and I rolled down a quiet Corsicana street to the address John Bishop had given us. Shady Rest turned out to be a shabby rooming house set next to a wide, weed-grown lot. I'll buy you a new Winchester if this deal pans out, Jason. Let's hope it costs you, Sheriff. And you better knock again. Yes? Good afternoon, ma'am. This is Sheriff Pruitt of Glenwood, and I'm Ranger Pearson. Howdy. I'm Ethel Hastings. Miss Ethel Hastings. I'm the owner here. How do you do, Miss Hastings? I wonder if you could give us a little information. Well, maybe. What you want to know? We understand Mr. and Mrs. John Bishop are due back from Houston this afternoon. We were wondering if they've arrived yet. You mean Duke and Vale Bishop? Huh. They have not arrived, and they're not a-gone to. Uh, what makes you so sure? Because I evicted them, that's what. Evicted them? When? Day before yesterday morning. Well, that's the morning of the same day the court right thing took place, Jase. Yeah. Oh, why were they evicted, ma'am? Well, I'm patient, and I'm long-suffering. But I'm a woman alone in this world, and I have to look out for my own interests. That pair's been living off me half the winter, and all spring, and there just had to be an end to it. Non-payment of rent, eh? Would you say they were broke? Well, if they wasn't, they sure had it hid good. Any idea where they were going? To perdition. I'll guarantee that the way the two of them lolled around all the time, drinking and turning down offers for honest work. Well, what I meant was, did they leave a forwarding address? No. But they'll be sending me one as soon as they locate. You can count on that. Well, you seem pretty sure, ma'am. I am. They only had one thing of any value. Beat-up old trunk that they tried to sneak out to their car. The way they hollered when I locked it up for the back rent, it must be worth something. I told them they could send for it when they had my money. You mind if we look at this trunk? Well, now I don't want to do nothing wrong. But with the law with me, I guess it'd be all right, wouldn't it? I think so, Miss Hastings. Well, then come right this way with me. What uh, model rifle you want, Chase? Looks like I might be buying you one. Just be dying to look at this trunk myself. What in the world those two could have that was that valuable? Now, it's right in the storeroom here. 
That's it. Right there. Open her up, Sheriff. Let's right. see what's inside. Hmm. There's nothing in the trunk except something wrapped in that old shirt. Let's see what it is. Oh! Oh, Can you beat that? Oh! Cover it up, quick! Get it out of here! Get it out of here! Oh, now calm yourself, ma'am. It isn't what it looks like. Oh, it looks like a jug of alcohol to me with a baby in it. A baby oh. with two heads. Oh, my heart. My heart, where's my medicine? I gotta have my medicine. Now, easy, ma'am. Oh. You're all right. That's a sideshow gadget. Just a rubber doll made to oh. look like the real thing. You mean it's a fake, Chase? Sure. I've seen oh. them in theatrical supply house catalogs. All sorts and sizes. Mummies, too. Fake? Well, I might have known it. Anything that pair had to be no good. I've... I suppose it don't have much value, does it, Ranger? Do you? I'm afraid not. Not unless you want to join a sideshow. Sideshow? Ranger, I'll have you to know I'm a respectable woman. And you've been a very helpful one, too, Miss Hastings. Thanks. Come on, Sheriff. That bottle was the blamedest thing I ever saw, Jace. What do you suppose the bishops had it for? I bet they wish they had it now. You in the mood for a few days of traveling? Anything that'll bring us up with the bishops. Good thing we know where to start looking for them. Do we? Living in a cheap rooming house, running out of money towards spring, refusing jobs, that faked-up exhibit they tried to sneak out with them. Sheriff, you and I are going hunting for carnivals. Working from published carnival routes, Sheriff Pruitt and I tracked down one show after another without finding any trace of Duke Bishop and his wife. No showman's organization had ever heard of them. We were beginning to lose hope by the time we arrived at Rocky Pass, where a carnival company was working the annual Rocky County Fair. Golly, Jace, did you ever see such a jam? Carnivals are fun, Sheriff. That's what they're for. Well, personally, I'm about fed up with them. And it looks like we're going to draw a blank here, too. No sign of a two-headed baby. Well, we haven't checked that sideshow over there yet. Another one? Do we have to? Uh, they're getting kind of old to me now, too. This looks like a pit layout. Is that good? Well, it'll be the likeliest place for our pair to be working one of those fake baby exhibits. If that's what they went back to. What do you mean, a pit layout, Jake? Pit shows, they call them. A lot of acts and exhibits under one top. One admission for the bunch. They use pits instead of platforms to separate the performance from the audience. <laughs> what a business. Come on, let's see if this show's got anything to interest us. Extraordinary assemblage of marvels ever gathered together for the edification of mankind. Something of fascinating hey, to any and each Mister. You mean me, Ranger? Mind stepping down here a moment? I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. Instantly, Ranger, forthwith without delay. All right, step right up to the window, folks. The little lady would be happy to take your money. It's only two bits, 25 cents, the quarter part of a dollar. Ah. Now, what can I do for you gentlemen of the law? The sheriff and I are looking for a husband and wife team. We have reason to believe we're working a show like this. Ranger, it's one of the puzzles of my long and checkered career why millions of the law insist upon hounding us hard-waking conics. Now, this is the first case I've ever had to investigate in the show business, mister. 
I hope it's the last. A commendable sentiment, Sheriff. Very commendable. The people we're looking for probably operate some kind of an exhibit of what they claim is a two-headed baby in a jar of alcohol. Yeah, uh, hopscotches. Huh? What's that? Hopscotches. Uh, not regular dyed-in-the-wool carnies. Drifters that uh, keep switching from one show to another. They'd be the kind be using that ancient sucker bait. Anything like that with this show? A fake you can order out of a supply house by the dozen with this show? Absolutely not, Ranger. Uh, how about in this tent? You got a lot of freaks? Natural phenomena, Sheriff. Wonders of nature. All right, all right. Have you got a two-headed baby in there? Eh, not even a one-headed one. But there are some husband and wife teams. Now, just step over here with me and look them over for yourself. Go ahead, Sheriff. Follow him. Might as well be sure. Yeah, uh, Right over here, Ranger. Excuse me, folks. Excuse me. Now, Sheriff, we have here Zara, the world's heaviest human body. She requires the calorie intake of 10 normal adults. I'm afraid she's not the one we're looking for. Well, all right. Right over here next is her husband, the sword swallower. Well, we're not interested in him either. Well, now, don't rush yourself, Sheriff. Don't rush. Be sure. Look, but the bishops weren't performers. They operated an exhibit. Who did you say? Duke and Bell Bishop. Now, you know him? Uh, why, no, no. The name mean anything to you? Mm, no, nothing, nothing at all. Uh, now, this gentleman over here is Serpentina, the rubber woman. Hey, wait a minute. What's that over there? Uh, where? Through that doorway, under the banner that says, See and Believe. Oh, that? Why, uh, that's the blow-off. Now, if you'll just now, step don't this be in such with... a hurry, mister. What's a blow-off? It's, uh, well, it's an added attraction for which there's uh, an extra admission charge. Kind of a come-on, eh? I suppose you could put it that way, Sheriff. Just what is this added attraction? Kind of a shocker. A woman without a head. Alive? Uh, merely a cheap illusion, gentlemen. Uh, we'll take a look just the same. Come on, Sheriff. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, this unfortunate woman sitting before you on this chair. Oh, there he is, Sheriff. The There's Bishop. Well, I'll be darned. Watch that barker said this no-head business was an illusion. Look at them pipes and wires and stuff feeding into her neck. And she's moving. That must be Bishop's wife. Uh-huh. Don't think he's seen us yet. Come on. This little lady would die in just about 60 seconds. Hey, Bell, duck quick, the ranger. Keep clear, folks. Hold it, Bell. They're ducking out under the tent, Chase. The canvas is loose here. Out this way, Sheriff. Don't see him, Chase. There they go, Sheriff. Into the crowd, out in the midway. Come on. Hold it, Bishop. Too many people here to risk gunplay. You gotta be careful. Yeah. Watch it. He's gonna fire, Chase. They're heading for the parking lot. Yeah, I see him. We lost him, Chase. Yeah, they could hide in here all night with so many cars jammed together. Our ears are better than our eyes in a spot like this. Hear anything? Not yet. Hey, what's that? There goes a car, but it ain't the one they had. They probably stole this one, but it's them, all right. They're heading right for the fairground fence. Yeah, and they're going to go through it. Over to our car, quick. Time we drive through the auto gate, they'll be long gone. We aren't driving through the auto gate either. Think you can hit that hole they made in the fence, Jace? Watch me try. Brace yourself. Oh, just like threading a needle. Keep your eyes open for him while I get on the radio. Unit 10 to KTXA. Unit 10 to KTXA. KTXA to Unit 10. Go ahead, Unit 10. Unit 10 is pursuing a green new model four-door Nash sedan southbound on Highway 285, two miles south of Rocky Pass. 
Car is presumed stolen. The occupants are wanted for murder. Unit 10 requests roadblocks on all possible avenues of escape from this area. Will do, Unit 10. KDXA Austin. Although we drove at top speed, the pursuit ended at a ranger roadblock 50 miles south of Rocky Pass. Units at the roadblock had not seen the described car, so we knew Duke and Bell Bishop had turned off on some tributary road before they reached the barricade. We turned back on Highway 285 to search for them. There's the farm road I was talking about up ahead, Jace. They could have taken it. Yeah, pretty sparsely settled country out west of here. Let's take a look, Sheriff. Sit tight, Jace. I'll check it. See anything, Sheriff? Well, this looks like it, Jace. Fresh tire tracks. Somebody made an awful fast turn off the highway. Direction of travel is right, too. Maybe our luck's changing, Sheriff. Let's find out. sure getting rough. Yeah, it's beginning to get dark. If we don't get line on that pair pretty soon, Jace, they may dodge us altogether. I don't think so, Sheriff. They've been giving us a bad time, and they may give us a worse one, but the department's got this whole area isolated. Before we're through, we may wish we had your trailer and our horses. Yeah, I was thinking of that, too. KTXA to Unit 10. That's us, isn't KTXA to Unit 10. Yeah. Unit 10 to KTXA. Go ahead. Highway Patrol Unit 402 reports contact with subject's car 11 miles west of Highway 285. Second dirt road to left, off of Farm Road 971. Subjects maintaining excessive speed on nearly impassable road. Unit 402 requests backing. We passed the second dirt road to the left yet, Sheriff? No. Wait, wait, looks like one at the bottom of this hill. Yeah. 10-4, Unit 10, approaching turnoff to Farm Road 971 now. Relay to Unit 402. We're coming behind him. Unit 10, clear. 10-4, KDXA Austin. Hang on, Sheriff. Looks like a bad turn. Well, the dust has settled, but you can still smell it in the air. Yeah, the highway patrol car got to be just up ahead. Yeah, and he's right behind Bishop and his wife. How's your shooting eye? Pretty tolerable, Jerry. But I could do with a little practice. You're apt to get it. Now reach my rifle out of the back seat. All right. Get a shot, Sheriff. Try for the tires. If they don't stop then, try for the best target you can get. Okay, Jace. You'll have to smell the dust in the air now. You can see it. Jace, look out. The road is dead ending. Tracks keep right on at the brush. So are we. What are you stopping for? You see something? Look, in that little gully. The highway patrol car, on its side. Watch yourself, Sheriff. Keep that rifle ready. No sign of the other car. Its tracks keep right on through the brush. Here. Give me a hand with this top door. Gotta get the patrolman out of there. Let me get his feet. Easy now, Sheriff. Lift him out flat. Like he was on a stretcher. Now, down on this patch of grass. Is he bad off, Jace? Yeah. Some abrasions and probably a mild concussion. He got a nasty lump on the side of his head. Glad it isn't any worse. What do we do, Jace? I'm going to radio for an ambulance to pick him up. Then we'll have to stay here and wait for it. Yeah, it's too dark to do much tracking in this brush anyway. We'll night it here. By morning, we're going to have us those horses you were wishing we'd brought along. Oh, my God. 
highway patrolman was not seriously injured. During the night, our horses were towed into us. And by sunrise, the sheriff and I were in the saddle, working toward other mounted rangers, closing in on Duke and Bell Bishop from the opposite side. We found their car, and much later in the day, followed their tracks to a small, dilapidated ranch house. Whoa, Sharky. Whoa, boy. Uh, somebody's home there. Smoke's in the chimney. Yeah. But listen, Sheriff. You mean that old cow talking? Yeah. What's it sound like she's saying? She sounds like somebody forgot to milk her this morning. Yeah, would a rancher forget something like that? What are you driving at, Jace? Suppose somebody put the rancher out of commission so he couldn't take care of the cow. And a minute ago, I was ready to ride right up to that front door. Yeah, I'll leave the horses here. We'll work the rest of the way on foot. It's going to be ticklish business. If they're in there, they've probably got their hands on every gun in the house. Yeah, i got a hunch they may try to bluff it out till we actually bust in on them. You take the front door. I'll cut around to the back. Whichever way they break, then, we'll have them. We better have a signal so I know when to rush the front, Chase. Make your rush if you hear a shot or if I holler. Whichever's first. Right. Good luck. Same to you, Sheriff. We'll both need it. Approaching that house without cover or real knowledge of what lay behind the doors is the kind of work officers do only because it's part of their jobs. Death is close, and they know it. I told you to stay by those back windows. I guess I'm scared. Maybe there's rangers all around us. We've got to get out of here. Yeah, maybe we better. But not together. You take the back way. Both of you, stay right where you Run are. Run for it, Look out, Sheriff! Come on, out in front with you. No. There. What a gag you like that couple lying there in the corner. Now, out on the front porch. You hit bad, Sheriff? Nick in the arm. Here, you. Get your arms around this porch post. Those cuffs will keep you out of mischief. Bishop, hold up behind that water trough. Yeah, I'll flush him out. Bishop, I'm giving you a chance. Come out from behind there with your hands up. You hear me? Come and get me, Ranger. Okay. I will. Did he give up, Chase? I'm afraid he did, Sheriff. Permanently. Duly tried in the county courts at Glenwood, Texas, Belle Bishop was found guilty as an accessory in the murder of Jim Cortright. Her sentence, 50 years in the women's prison at Gory. Next week, Joel McRae in another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of the Texas Rangers. Joel McRae is currently seen starring in the Universal International Technicolor production, Cattle Drive. The cast included Tony Barrett, Eddie Marr, Gerald Moore, Betty Lou Gerson, Ed Begley, and Jeanette Nolan. Technical advisor was Captain M.T. Lone Wolf Gonzalez of the Texas Rangers. This story was transcribed and adapted by Tom Blackburn, and the program was produced and directed by Stacy Keach. This is Hal Gibney speaking. 
It's the Silver Jubilee on NBC. Now entering its second quarter century as the leader in radio entertainment. Next, it's the big show. All this and Tallulah 2 on NBC. From November 25th, 1951, that was Tales of the Texas Rangers. That episode, that series, inspired by the escapades of Sheriff J.T. Lone Wolf Gonzalez of the Texas Rangers. Hey, that one featured Ed Bagley in that stellar cast. And Ed Bagley was um, a well-known actor, played in many great films, but he was also a um, well-renowned Broadway stage actor. And I remember when I was a junior in high school, I had the best teacher I ever had. His name was Daniel Canny. When I was in high school back there in Long Beach, California, the junior year English was American literature. And Mr. Canny had it uh, divided up, or I suppose the school system did, into four categories. There was the short story, the novel, poetry, and plays. And he made every one of those live so much. And you would think that you would hate poetry, (laughs) you know, a junior in high school poetry. I'll never forget the day that uh, the section on poetry started. I guess the school school year was divided up into four quarters. And the day, I think it was the second quarter or third quarter when we started poetry, we walked in the room and he had a banner hanging clear across the back of the room. It said, Robert Frost Rules. We analyzed poetry in that class, and I, and I still love poetry, and I learned so much about it. But when we did plays, we, of course, read many of them aloud in class. And uh, most kids didn't want to be pegged, you know, to read big roles in a play. Even though you were reading it from the book, it wasn't like you were memorizing lines. You were sitting at your desk and reading it aloud, though. Of course, I was one that always wanted to play the lead. Not long after high school, uh, I graduated in 65. In 1968, I moved to New York City. And while I was in New York City for four years, there, there was a, a New York City-sponsored benevolent society that would resurrect great old plays. And they would play them for the public for like three or four weeks. And the amount it charged, you know, they charged to get in was a fraction of what a legitimate Broadway show cost. Back then, in 1968 to 1972, a Broadway musical, Orchestra Seat, and this is in its first uh, first couple months when it was still really a big hit, twelve fifty for an orchestra seat. And I think by the time I left there, it was up to $15. Now what is it, $145, something like that? But I think to get into the antitheater, uh, if you could get the tickets, it was about 5 bucks. And we went one day on a Saturday afternoon, I remember some friends, and saw Our Town, the Thornton Wilder play, which we had read in Mr. Canny's class. This is who was in Our Town. The stage man, if you know the play, you'll, you'll, well, I don't know the name, I don't remember the names of all the characters, but the stage manager was Henry Fonda. And uh, in it, the mayor was played by Ed Bagley. And his wife was Mildred Natwick. John Fielder was in it, who is a well-known character actor. If you don't know who he is by name, just Google him and look at images. You'll know John Fielder immediately. Elizabeth Hartman was in it, who was a a big movie star at the time. Oh, there were several other... Oh, um, 
uh, Margaret Hamilton, you know, who played uh, the Wicked Witch of, uh, of the West in The Wizard of Oz. She was in it. Uh, several others. But what uh, what a joy to see this play that I had loved, you know, reading it in high school, uh, to see it there on the Broadway stage. All right. How about a little music? Tell you what, I played a song, oh, several months ago now, and I, I had a number of people uh, comment on it that they had not heard it in years and years and years. So I'm going to play it again. Now, this is what I'm going to ask you to do, though. You can't listen to this song without dancing. You just, you can't. So just to save yourself some, some trouble, I would suggest that you roll up the carpets right now, push the furniture back against the walls, because when you hear this, you're going to want to dance. That's what you're going to want to do. have a party. Now, who can listen to that and not want to dance? Or for that matter, who can listen to Manford Man and not want to dance? There she was, just walking down the street singing Tapping her fingers and shuffling her feet singing She looked good She looked fine And I nearly lost my mind Before I knew it She was walking next to me Singing Holding my hand Just as natural as can be Singing 
We walk on to my door. We walk on to my door. Then we kiss a little more. Whoa, I knew we was falling in love. Yes, I did, and so I told her all the things I'd been dreaming of. Now we're together nearly every single day singing. That's how we're gonna stay singing. Well, I'm hurt. I'm hurt. She's mine. She's mine. I'm hurt. She's mine. Waiting bells are gonna chime. Whoa, I knew we was falling in love. Yes, I did, and so I told her all the things I'd been dreaming of. Now we're together, nearly every single day singing. Oh, we're so happy, and that's how we're gonna stay singing. I mean, well, I'm hurt. She's mine. I'm hurt. She's mine. Wedding bells are gonna shine. Whoa, oh yeah. Do What were you doing when that song was popular? Hmm. I bet that I bet that song reminds you of somebody. <laughs> All right, let's have a little comedy time right now. Something familiar. Something peculiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings. Nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, comedy tonight. Well, this week on our Comedy Corner, I'm going to take you back to a program that I did in 2010 in which I played an episode of The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, which is certainly a show that boomers remember so well growing up because chances are you watched the Nelson boys grow up as you were growing up. They were a little older than I was, but I know uh, Rick was a big, big deal in my sister's life when she was uh, in junior high school because her bedroom wall was plastered with pictures of Rick Nelson. So here we go. The comments that uh, follow were comments I made back in 2010. Okay, now we have an episode of Ozzy and Harriet. I listened to this one last last night or the night before, and and I laughed out loud, mostly at little Ricky. Now again, this is a, a just a not important plot at all, but it well, you're just going to have to listen to it. I'm not going to sit here. Let me just tell you a little bit about the history of Ozzy and Harriet, the adventures of Ozzy. And again, this is from John Dunning. Good old John. I'm going to have to send him a thank you letter or something. The adventures of Ozzy and Harriet premiered on CBS. On the Nelson's ninth wedding anniversary on October 8, 1944, a New Jersey native, Ozzy had formed his first orchestra at age 14. 
and had worked his way through college and law school playing proms and balls. He graduated from Rutgers and emerged from academia with a law degree, but he soon found his band doing so well that he postponed hanging out his legal shingle. Harriet came out of Iowa, playing her first stage role at the age of six weeks in the arms of her actress mother. Her name was Peggy Lou Snyder then. Her parents were part of a traveling stock company, and by the time she was five, Harriet was a veteran performer. After school, she continued her career traveling the old Orpheum vaudeville circuit with Ken Murray, Burt Lahr, and others. Her stage work led inevitably to Hollywood, where, as Harriet Hilliard, she signed a contract with Paramount and appeared as a dancer in the 1932 short film Musical Justice. By that time, Ozzie Nelson was leading one of the best-known dance bands of the time and was packing them in at the old Glen Island Casino. The Glen Island Casino, by the way, was in New Rochelle, New York, just north of New York City, uh, right overlooking Long Island Sound. And I have to be honest, I didn't know that. I had to look that up. Did not know the Glen Island Casino. Okay. He had an idea that a girl singer might go well with his band, which was a rather novel thought in those early days. And one day he caught Harriet's act in musical justice. He liked her and arranged a meeting. She liked him and agreed to give up her current job, sing her in a New York restaurant, and join the band. Together they worked out the pattern song routine that became their trademark. A little bit about the origins of Ozzy and Harriet. And of course they became most famous with their family, and David and Ricky came along. And one of the things that just cracks me up about this one is Ricky's wisecracking and his use of the word boy. <laughs> You'll see what I mean. Their show was on the radio successfully for quite a while, and then Ozzy wanted to make the transition to television. Apparently, ABC wasn't that interested. So what did Ozzy do? Well, according to um, Leonard Maltin, Ozzy Nelson actually put his family into a theatrical feature film, 1952's Here Come the Nelsons, to prove to the powers that be that they could play themselves successfully on television. Here comes Ozzy and Harriet, David and Ricky, and this episode was originally aired April the 25th, 1952, and it's entitled Too Much Change. And while you're listening to this, <laughs> listen to what you could buy. Listen to what Ozzy did with 10 bucks. With 10 bucks. Now think about that. 10 bucks. How much could you do with 10 bucks today? Listen to what Ozzy did back in 1952. Here it comes. You know it's good because it's Heinz. The H.J. Heinz Company, makers of 57 varieties of fine foods for over 80 years, present the amusing transcribed adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, starring the entire Nelson family, Ozzie, Harriet, David, and Ricky. Let's look in at the Nelson household and see what they have on tap for us this week. Hmm, 
I don't see Ozzie and Harriet any place, but there's David and Ricky. And David stretched out on the floor taking it easy, and Ricky seems to be reading the funnies to him. Then in the last box, the captain says, Und now gives a good spanking for pulling the inspector's beard. And what is Rollo saying? Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> now read me Terry and the Pirates. Oh, come on, David. Read them yourself. Don't be so ungrateful. I used to read them to you, didn't I? Yeah, but that was before I could read. Besides, I have to make out my report. What report? We have a club meeting tonight. I'm the treasurer. Big deal. What do you need a treasurer for? You kids don't have any money. That's how much you know about it. How much you got in the treasury? We got plenty, boy. I'll bet. We got it hidden in a swell place, too, boy. You'll never find it. Who wants it? Where is it? <laughs> I'm not allowed to tell. It's a club secret. Okay, who wants to know anyway? It was my idea. It's a neat one, too, boy. Oh, hiya, fellas. Hi, Pop. Hiya, Pop. I might as well tell you because you're going to find it out pretty soon anyway. What's this? Well, I'm treasurer of our club. Big deal. Oh, good for you. I'm the only treasurer, too. <laughs> the only treasurer? How many presidents do you have? Eight. <laughs> Eight presidents? Sure. And six vice presidents, four secretaries, and two ghoulies. <laughs> what are ghoulies? Well, it's a thing we made up. When we got through with the election, there were two members that weren't elected to anything. So we made up that they were ghoulies. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. Every member of the club's an officer, huh? Yeah, but I'm the only treasurer. Well, that's quite an honor. Thanks, Pop. I'd rather be a ghoulie. <laughs> I don't know about that, David. Being treasurer of a club's a big responsibility. Oh, Pop. Yes, it is. Shows that the other members of Ricky's club have a great deal of respect for him. Means that they trust him and consider him better qualified than anybody else for the responsibility of the position. And besides, nobody else won the job. <laughs> hey, you fellas had better hurry up. Okay, Mom. Come on, money bags. Okay, David. Cut the shoving. So long. So long. Bye, boys. Goodbye, boys. What was the big discussion about? Oh, Rick was telling me about some club he's in. Seems they've elected him treasurer. Oh, speaking of treasurer, I have to run downtown for a few things. Do you have any money? Money? <laughs> yeah, let's see. Hmm. You took $10 yesterday. Did you spend all of it, or don't you know? Well, Harriet, I don't like the implications of that remark. I may act like I'm careless with money, and... And uh, look like I'm careless with money, and, and some people may think I'm careless with money. Do you know why? Because you're careless with money? <laughs> no, because I've always got it figured out in my head. I don't have to keep figuring and adding all the time. I know just how much money I've got in my pocket right now. I believe you. I wasn't... No, cast... no, go ahead. Ask me how much I've got in my pocket. But I told you... Go I... ahead. Ask me. How much money have you got in your pocket right now? Thought you'd catch me, didn't you? Just a second, I'll figure it out. Three and, and five, that's, that's eight and uh, ten and twenty. Exactly 38 cents. Is that all you have, 38 cents? Yeah, there it is. 20, 30, 35, 37. No, that's right, I weighed myself. 37 cents left out of $10. What'd you buy, an automobile? 
No, it so happens I can explain every penny. No, I was only kidding. No, 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 wait a minute. I'd rather. Let's see. First, I went to the garage and had the car filled up with gas. That was three and a half. Six and a half to go. Then I met Thorny. That cost me about a dollar and a half. <laughs> two cheese sandwiches, two chocolate malteds, two pieces of pie, and the check was under my plate. I think I was framed. <laughs> That's five. Uh, then I went down to the Emporium and, and bought a shirt. They were on sale. That was three and a half. After that, I, I stopped in at the hardware store to get a padlock for the garage. Oh, I got a flashlight that shines red and green. That's something we need. Oh, desperately. <laughs> What'd you say? Nothing. Go ahead. Oh, I also found a set of wrenches for the car and a box of magic crystals for the fireplace. They make the fire burn all different colors. It's quite an idea. All that came to about $4. What about the padlock? Well, I'll, I'll pick that up next time. Then I stopped at the drugstore on the way home, and I bought some toothpaste and uh, a can of shoe polish and some magazines, which uh, came to a little over $2. There you figure it up. I have. I've been writing it down. Altogether, you spent about $15. All right. Fifteen? No, no. You must have made a mistake. I only had $10 with me. Let's see. Gasoline, three and a half. Thorny and the sandwiches, a dollar and a half. Yeah, that's five. Shirt at the Emporium, three and a half. After that, Temptation at the Hardware Store, four dollars. That's twelve and a half. And two dollars and something at the drugstore, that makes it about fifteen. Not bad for starting out with ten dollars. You know, some clerk must have given you too much change. Say, that's it. That's exactly what happened. The girl at the Emporium gave me five dollars too much change when I bought the shirt. How do you know? Well, I remember now. I gave her a $5 bill, and she gave me change for a 10. She was very busy, and she was waiting on two or three customers at the same time. Are you sure? I'm positive. In fact, I remember looking at my wallet and thinking I had too much money at the time. How about that? Gave me change for a 10 instead of a 5. Well, I'm going downtown now. Why don't you go with me, and you can stop in and return the $5? Uh, right now, you mean? It'll save a trip later. Well, Okay. The only thing, though. I know. It isn't easy. We just have to remember it isn't our money. Yeah, yes. I, I realize that. It's it just... Just what? Uh, do you have five dollars? <laughs> I'm going to shop here at the Emporium and then go across the street. Do you want to wait for me? No, no, that's okay. Why don't you go ahead and I'll see you at home later. Okay, bye. Bye. So she says to me, he's a swell guy, but he never wants to take me out. And I said, well, that's the trouble. Oh, just a second. Uh, what can I do for you, sir? Oh, uh, uh, wasn't there another girl working at this counter yesterday? Oh, yes, that's Ingrid Mahoney. She isn't here anymore. Oh. Well, uh... Uh, I bought a shirt here yesterday, and she made a mistake. All adjustments are made on the third floor upstairs. So she says to me, what would you uh, do? Uh, pardon me. Uh, yes? Well, uh, this uh, Miss Mahoney made a mistake in the chain. I'm sorry, but all adjustments are made on the third floor upstairs. So she says to me, what would you do if you were me? Here she's going steady with this fellow who won't take her out, and another fellow's dying to take her out. So what's she going to do? Uh, tell her to go upstairs. I beg your pardon? Uh, all adjustments are made on the third floor. <laughs> Hello? 
How do you do, sir? Oh, uh, how do you do? Uh, is this the adjustment office? Uh, yes, it is. Won't you sit down? Oh, thank you. Uh, is there anything I can do for you? Uh, yeah, uh, my name is Nelson. Uh, I bought a shirt here yesterday, and the girl gave me the wrong change. You're supposed to count your change before you leave the counter. There's a sign right there in black and white. Well, yes, I know, but it happens I was in a hurry. And we can't be responsible if you're in a hurry. No, 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 I only... Now, let's be cool and practical about this, sir. How do you know you didn't make a mistake? Well, I, I checked and double-checked. Perhaps you were confused. No, I wasn't confused. I don't get confused about things like that. Then why didn't you read the sign? We can't go making good every time somebody says he was short-changed. No, no, I wasn't short-changed. I got $5 too much. You weren't confused. <laughs> you don't get confused. No. Do you know what you just said? What? You said the girl gave you $5 too much. Well, that's right, she did. And now I'm confused. <laughs> You say you got $5 too much? Yes, that's right. Then what's your complaint? Well, I, I want to return the $5. What's your racket, bud? <laughs> I haven't got any racket. I came in here to give you back the $5. A likely story. Mr. Nelson, do you think I believe for one moment that any human being with a mentality higher than an orangutan would return money to a department store? Now, look, I didn't come here to be called an orangutan. Here's your $5. Goodbye. Come back here. What? Don't you dare leave that $5 bill on my desk. But that's the $5 the girl gave me. You can't leave it here. You can't. But I just told you it's your $5. I never admitted it. You haven't got any witnesses. Look, all I want to do is give you this money and go home. Now, here's your $5. Now, look, Mr. Nelson, you, you can't do this to me. Do what to you? Mr. Nelson, you look like a reasonable man. Try to see my side of it. The books are already balanced for yesterday. This $5 bill will throw them off. They'll be off for a month for the semi-annual audit, for the yearly balance sheet. The auditors will be here at the end of the year, and here I am, unbalanced. <laughs> They'll find out in a minute. You can't put anything over on those fellows. What'll I tell them? You can't leave that $5 here. You can't. Oh, okay, okay. If you feel that way about it, I'll keep the $5. Oh, thank you, Mr. Nelson. <laughs> Not at all. If there's ever anything I can do for you in return... No, that, that, that's, that's all right. J just forget it. Oh, here. Here's a calendar. And a courtesy card entitling you to an hour's free parking. Oh, oh, thank you. Mr. Nelson, it's been a pleasure to meet a man as understanding and accommodating as you. Oh, well, that, that's perfectly all right. I, I can and I, uh, I hope you won't take it personally if I make a suggestion. What's that? Either count your change before you leave the counter or don't count it at all! So I took the $5 and came home. That's the silliest thing I ever heard of. I argued with the man. I pleaded with him. After all, you can't force a man to accept money if he doesn't want to take it. He said it would mix up their accounting system. I even laid it on his desk and he threw it right back at me. Oh, here. Here's a, a calendar he gave me. But why didn't you give the $5 to the girl who made the mistake originally? Oh, oh, didn't I tell you? She doesn't work there anymore. This is kind of a cute calendar at that. Isn't it a shame? This November isn't bad. 
Imagine skiing in a costume like that. Firing a girl just because she gave you the wrong change. Oh, say, that never occurred to me. You think she was fired? She was there yesterday, and she gave you $5 too much change, and she's not working there today. Oh, gee. Poor girl. Well, Harriet, it isn't my fault. Oh, I know it. It's just a shame, that's all. Hi, Pop. Hi, Mom. Hello, boys. Oh, hello, boys. Something wrong, Pop? No, no. Nothing really, David. Well, some girl in a department store made a mistake and gave your father too much change, and she got fired for it. Golly. Golly. Poor girl. Poor girl? Poor girl. Well, it wasn't my fault. (laughs) Well, of course not, dear. How could you help it? Sure, how could you help it? Why didn't you count your change? (laughs) I was in a hurry. The girl probably had to make up the $5 and lost her job besides. Well, Thornbury was telling me about a girl who lost her job last week and tried to jump in the river. David, this just happened yesterday. (laughs) What's everybody making such a big thing about this? It wasn't my fault, and I went back to the store and tried to straighten it out. Now, let's all forget about it. Can we go out, Pop? Certainly. Go ahead. Hey, David. Yeah? Let's go down the river and watch. And now let's see what's going on with Ozzie and Harriet. As we rejoin them, Ozzie's out in the backyard, staring into space, when along comes neighbor Thornberry. Hi, Oz. Oh, hello, Thorny. What are you so worried about? You look as if you'd lost your last friend. Uh, honestly, Thorny, I can get in... No, you wouldn't be interested. Oh, come on, Oz. Cut it out. You know I'm always interested in anything. It all started when I went down to the Emporium to buy a couple of shirts. There's a sales girl who waited on hey, Just me. a minute, Oz. Maybe it's best that you don't tell me. Well, you asked me to tell you, so now you're going to hear it whether you like it or not. Okay, Oz, go ahead. You were saying this uh, beautiful sales girl waited on you. Yes, this beautiful sa... Now, wait a minute. I didn't say that. <laughs> anyway, I, I bought a white shirt, and this girl gave me $5 too much change. I don't know why I didn't catch the mistake at the time. I, I, I understand, guess... Oz. You don't have to explain. Understand what? Fight it, Oz, old boy. Fight what? This mad infatuation. Uh, Look, Thorny. (laughs) All I did was go in and buy a white shirt. It's very obvious. You don't have to explain to me. There's a bit of the mad beast in every man, but you've just got to fight it. Oh, for goodness (laughs) sake. Did you read this month's Cosmopolitan? No, no, I didn't. Well, maybe it was last month's. Anyway, there was a story there, and the parallel is amazing. Look, Thorny. Fight it, Oz. I don't want to fight it. The whole thing is ridiculous. Did Harriet suggest that you find out the girl's name and give back the five dollars? No, she didn't. There you are. Where am I? (laughs) Well, she understands. She sees the danger. Oz, we got to face it. Ever since the beginning of time, women have had intuition about these things. Now, you take this story I was reading in the American Weekly. No, no, no. It was Cosmopolitan. No, this was a different one. It seems there was this no, no, girl no, and this man... Now, Thorny, uh, wait a minute, will you please? Before you change the subject, you, you really think that, that Harriet might, might be a little uh, 
I mean, you really think so? Well, if she didn't, wouldn't she be the first to suggest that you find out where this girl lives and take the money over to her? Well, she'd come right out and say... Ozzy? Uh, yes? Oh, hello, Thorny. Ozzy, you know, I've just been thinking this thing over. Why don't you find out where this girl lives and take the money over to her? Well, that's a wonderful idea, Harriet. Only thing is you just set women's intuition back 2,000 years. <laughs> I can't understand it. Well, don't look so disappointed, Thorny. Fight it, old boy. Fight it. Uh, uh, pardon me. Oh, what can I do for you, sir? Well, there was a girl working here yesterday named Ingrid Mahoney. Yes? Well, uh, could you give me her name and address? Her name and address? Oh, <laughs> I mean, I have her name, but I, I want her address. Say, weren't you the same fellow who was here this morning asking about Ingrid? Oh, uh, yes, I am. Well, it may interest you to know she's going steady. Well, I, I don't care about that. Gee, a regular caveman. <laughs> now, all I want is Ingrid Mahoney's address. Why is it as soon as a girl goes steady, all the fellas get interested in her? Well, I, I, I don't know, but, but that isn't what I have in mind. You can find lots of girls who aren't going steady. I'm not going steady I, I, I'm afraid you, you misunderstand You see, I'm already married Oh Do you by chance ever read Cosmopolitan magazine? I, 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 yes, I, no I mean, I'm familiar with the story you're talking about but, but really, I'm here on strictly a business matter. Oh, darn. Why is it every wolf I meet turns out to be a cocker spaniel? <laughs> Would you please listen to me for a moment? I bought a shirt here yesterday. Five dollars too much change. Oh. Well, the adjustment department I've is already the... been upstairs to the adjustment department. All I want now is to find out where this girl lives so I can give her back the five dollars. It's as simple as all that. Oh, yes, I see. Good. But if I were you, sir, I'd stick to the caveman line. It works much better with us girls. <laughs> See, that's a good idea. Now, listen, babe. <laughs> you got Ingrid Mahoney's address? Oh, yes, sir. Give it to me. <laughs> Yes, sir. 25 Chestnut Street. Thanks. So long, Tuts. Oh, Hyman, you're so big and strong. That's why I love you, Hyman. Say you love me again, Ingrid. I love you, Hyman. Say it again. I love you, Hyman. Say it again. I love you, Hyman. I don't believe it. But I do, Hyman. Believe me, I do. Look, if I ever catch any other guy looking at you, I will tear him in half like... Hyman, not another telephone book! 
see? I love you more than anything. Honest, I do. Well, I'm very flattered to be sure, but I wish you would control your jealousy, Hyman. It's getting to be very embarrassing. I can't help being jealous of you. You know that, Ingrid. If only I could submerge my physical side. <laughs> but it's no use. When I see another man interested in you, I just go... Hyman, please, not the classifieds! <laughs> Hyman. Who could that be? Quite sure I don't know. Come in, the door is open. Uh, I beg your pardon, is Miss Ingrid Mahone? Oh, 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 there you are. Ingrid, what is the meaning of this? Honest, Hyman, I've never seen him before. Oh, yes, don't you remember me from the store yesterday? The, the 33 sleeve, uh, 16 uh, neck? Look, I tell you, this man is a stranger. Well, well uh, yes, in a way, but don't you remember at the store yesterday, I gave you a five, and you evidently gave me change for a ten. Weren't you five dollars short in your accounts? I was no such a thing. Uh, are you sure? Well, naturally, I'm sure. And now, if you don't mind... You have made Hyman cry. <laughs> now, 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 please believe me, Hyman. Uh, Herman. <laughs> I tell you, she was just another girl to me. <coughs> she was? Oh, of course. It's just that to you, she seems so irresistible. You sure? Oh, of course. To, to, to other men, she's just a, an ordinary girl, like thousands of... <laughs> Miss Mahoney! Ingrid! Miss Mahoney! Ow, please! Ozzy? Yeah? Well, what happened? Well, I couldn't force the $5 on her. She says she doesn't remember me and she doesn't know anything about any shortage. Well, that's funny. How could $5 mysteriously pop into your wallet? Ozzy, what's that under your arm? It's a box of candy for you. Oh, thank you, dear. Yeah, I had to chase all over town to find one that cost exactly $5. I figured it's $5 found money, and I might as well blow it in on my best girlfriend. What a lovely thought, dear. Oh, soft centers. Isn't that lucky? Your favorite kind. <laughs> oh, they're good, too. Oh, yes. Ricky told me to remind you that his club is meeting here today. Are you a member or something? Oh, no, no. You know how kids are. If it's important to him, he thinks it's important to everybody. Hmm. I think I'll try one of those long ones now. Oh, there you are, Pa. Oh, hello, Rick. Here, have some candy. Gee, thanks, Pa. Oh, these candies are good. Oh, what is it, son? Do you have your wallet in your pocket? Oh, yes, I do. Why? Remember I told you I was the club treasurer? Yeah. What about it? We have $5 in the treasury, and I put it in your wallet so I wouldn't lose it. Can I have it back now? (laughs) 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 Ricky, you better go up and filibuster your club for a while. Your dad's trying to cough up $5. (laughs)
Rick, we sure got that $5 just in time, didn't we? We sure did. The fellows were getting tired listening to me stalling them off. Well, you see, that shows you what resourcefulness can do. I don't like to brag, but when your old dad's up against it, you can usually depend upon him to figure out some way. Hey! What's that? Oh, it's only David. I guess he just found out what happened to his piggy bank. <laughs> Company and starring Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. And remember, Heinz soups are condensed. You get twice as much soup by adding an equal part of milk or water. That suits me fine. Me too. I like a lot, boy. Appearing in support of Ozzie and Harriet were their two sons, David and Ricky Nelson, John Brown, Sarah Burner, Sheldon Leonard, Paula Winslow, Frank Nelson, and yours truly, Vern Smith. Original music was composed and conducted by Billy May. So long, folks. This is Ozzie saying goodnight for the four Nelsons and the 57 varieties. That was the Oz and Harriet show, and that one originally aired on uh, April the 25th, 1952. Too much change. I really enjoyed that. Um, I, I'm going to play a lot more Oz and Harriet. We've got some good sound quality shows, too. I have at least a couple more in my file that have good, uh, good quality sound. If I can get my files back, which I hope I can, they're supposed to be able to salvage my hard drive from my uh, computer that just crashed and put it on the new computer. I hope, I hope I've got over 5,000 radio shows on that hard drive. All right, Ozzie and Harriet. You know, my uh, my sister, who's just a couple years older, three, three years, three, four years older than I am, uh, when we were, when she was a teenager, young teenager, when, you know, that age when girls really go gaga for the guys, like age 12, 11, 12, 13, 14, right in there. Uh, Valerie, her good friend across the street or across the alley, was uh, really into Elvis Presley. Gloria, my sister, was uh, Ricky Nelson all the way. My goodness gracious, she loved Ricky Nelson. She had all these albums, all these records, uh, had pictures all over the bedroom wall of Ricky Nelson. Of course, when he became a teenager on the show, Ozzy, the genius that he was, and I understand Ozzy was a show business genius, business genius. But he uh, he promoted uh, Ricky and really really took off with a big musical career. And you know Ricky Nelson could sing. And those early songs you, you wouldn't know it. Remember how they used to use the the echo effect back then when you listened to the original uh, TV shows. You wouldn't know that Ricky could sing that well. But he was really a good singer and a good entertainer. Carol and I once saw him at the L.A. County Fair in Pomona, and he he did the grandstand show. It was uh, at night and it was packed. And we had pretty good seats, and uh, he just did a whale of a show. Man, he was good. And I'll tell you what, he, now I'm a guy, and I like gals. I like my, my gal in particular. But man, Rick Nelson was good looking. <laughs> As we sat there and looked at him, I don't know, it's like my mother-in-law always says, an attractive person is just that, they're an attraction. And he was a good looking guy. Lost him way too young in that tragic uh, plane crash. And of course, there was a lot of bad rumors that were spreading around at that time. And I think most of those proved to be untrue. Uh, He had an old DC-3 that they used to fly around from gig to gig on. And what a sad thing, sad thing. I remember when um, he was in a motion picture in 1959 entitled Rio Bravo with John Wayne. 
and Dean Martin and Walter Brennan and Rick Nelson and Angie Dickinson. In fact, it was her first film, at least her first featured role. One of my favorite westerns to this day. I, I just think it's a good film. Very good film. It premiered. It didn't premiere. It had a preview showing where they would gauge audience reaction to it and they would leave in extra scenes. I guess they still do that. Not living in California, we don't see it here very often in the Midwest. This happened at the Town Theater right in Long Beach. And the Town Theater, for those of you that live in Long Beach, you're probably thinking, there's no Town Theater in Long Beach. Well, there used to be. It was right on Atlantic Avenue at San Antonio Road, right across the street from the Big Spino Shopping Center. And it became known. The, they never advertised these things. It was kind of word of mouth or you got invitations to come to it. Somehow my sister, who was probably 1959, I guess she was in junior high school. She and her friend, Valerie, I think it was Valerie, got tickets to this, uh, this advanced showing of Rio Bravo. The rumor was that Rick Nelson was going to be in the audience, and she was really excited. And I remember they went to it, and it ended up that Rick Nelson was not in the audience, neither was John Wayne, but Ward Bond was there. And what was the name of the fellow that used to play Wooster on uh, Wagon Train? He was there with Ward Bond. Frank McGrath was his name. Anyway, Ward Bond had a uh, had a role in, in the film Real Bravo. And Ward Bond met my sister and said, oh, I bet you girls were hoping Rick was going to be here. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he couldn't make it. And kind of a fun memory. The Town Theater. Lots of stories about the Town Theater. Lots of time spent at the Town Theater and the Crest Theater in the Bixby Knowles area of Long Beach. The sun is sinking in the west. The cattle go down to the street. The sun is sinking in the west. The cattle go down to the stream. The red wing settles in her nest. It's time for a cowboy to dream. Purple eyes in the canyon. That's where I long to be with my sweet good companion. Just my rifle, pony, and me gonna hang my sombrero on the limb of a tree. Coming home, sweetheart, darling. Just my rifle, pony, and me. Whippoorwill in the willow sings a sweet melody. Riding to, riding to Amarillo, Amarillo. Just my rifle, pony, and me. No more cows. No more cows. To be roping. To be roping. No more stray. No more stray. Will I see round the bend? Round the bend. She'll be waiting. She'll be waiting. 
my rifle pony and me for my rifle my pony and me hey that's real pretty go on play some more why don't you play something i can sing with you I was an apple That's a good one Hanging in the tree And every time my sweetheart passed She'd take a bite of me She told me that she loved me She called me sugar plum She threw her arms around me I thought my time had come Get along home, Cindy, Cindy Get along home, Cindy, Cindy Get along home, Cindy, Cindy I'll marry you sometime I wish I had a needle As fine as I could sew I'd sew her in my pocket And down the road I'd go Cindy hugged and kissed me She wrung her hands and cried Swore I was the prettiest thing that ever lived or died Get along home, Cindy, Cindy Get along home, Cindy, Cindy Get along home, Cindy, Cindy I'll marry you sometime That was Rick Nelson, Dean Martin, and Walter Brennan. You also heard John Wayne in the background. And, of course, that was from the 1959 film Rio Bravo. All right. Here's an encore presentation of a 1954 episode of Gunsmoke that we have played on the show before. I believe this one we also played in 2010, or maybe it was 2011. By the way, I believe this is one that we have the script for. So if you have downloaded the scripts when you joined our mailing list, uh, you can read along on this one. It's a lot of fun.
Well, as the music suggests, it's time for Gunsmoke, everybody. And boy, we've got a good one tonight. This is one of those ones that um, is, is kind of gripping. Uh, Meston was so good. John Meston was so good at uh, getting into the peccadilloes of what life was like back then. And some of them uh, are very uh, what, raw, gruesome, I guess. I well, anyway, the name of this episode tonight will bear out what I'm trying to say, and it's called The Bone Hunters, and I think you're going to enjoy it. Here it comes. Gunsmoke. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West... There's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun Smoke, starring William Conrad. Transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America. And the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job. And it makes a man watchful. And a little lonely. Mr. Dillon. Oh, what is, Chester? Look up the street there. What? Coming out of the Long Branch. Yeah, come on. I don't understand it. I didn't hear no gunshot. Well, that man they're carrying got hurt somehow, Chester. If he'd only passed out drinking, they'd probably left him under the bar and stood on him to improve their reach. Oh, I've seen that happen, Mr. Dillon. I've really seen it. Now, look, there's Doc with him. Well, he's got better ears than I have if he heard any gunfire. Now, there are other ways of killing men, Chester. Oh, yes, sir, that's true, Mr. Dillon. I saw a man killed with a bullwhip once. Oh, that was you bad. You men carry him up to my office. The door's open. I'll be long as soon as I talk to the marshal. Matt, you'd better get into the long branch or there's going to be more of this. What happened, Doc? That's Bill Zant they're carrying. I don't know him. Neither do I. But that's what they said it is. Well, it doesn't matter what happened to it. Well, he's been cut bad with a bowie knife. Who did it? That big drunk buffalo man, Noli Meeker. Noli Meeker, huh? Is he still on the long branch? Yes, he is, Matt. And you watch out for him. He's in a mighty dangerous mood. You see it? Well, I saw part of it. I was in there having a beer when it happened. Zant had a knife, too, but Noli Meeker knocked it out of his hand. Oh, then Noli did this himself, didn't he? No, he didn't. Everybody says Noli started it. Well, I've got to go and take care of Zant before he dies. Now, you watch out for Noli, Matt. Nobody can get anywhere near him. Come on, Justin. I saw Noli Meeker drunk once, Mr. Dillon. He sure does get mean. Mean enough to start killing people? Yes, sir. But when he's sober, he always seems plenty calm. I just don't know what happens to him. Now, that's what happens to other people I don't like. Being drunk's no excuse for murder. No, sir, it sure ain't. 
See what he can do. Yeah, here he is. Yeah, here he is now. Oh, look at him. He's got the whole bar to himself, Mr. Dillon, and with oh, that bloody knife in his hand. How are you going to take him? You'll stay here. Evening, Nolly. Get away from me, Marshal. Why don't you drop the knife, Nolly? You're in enough trouble now. I killed Zant, didn't I? I'll kill you next. Zant isn't dead yet, Nolly. And I'm going to have to keep you in jail till we find out if he's going to live. I ain't going to jail. Not if I have to cut me a path all the way out of Dodge. If Zant dies, you murdered him. You're not leaving Dodge. Now, you can't be so drunk you don't understand that. Come on, Marshal, let's fight. What, my six-gun against your bowie knife? You wouldn't have a chance, Nolly. Now, why don't you calm down before you get hurt? You go get yourself a knife. No, I'm not going to go get myself a knife. Okay, we'll fight this way. Forget about fighting, Nolly. I can cut good with this knife, Marshal. I can throw it, too. Stop it, Nolly. Didn't know that, did you? Watch. Well, you don't throw too good when you're drunk. Nolly! Pretty good today, do you, Nolly? Leave me alone, huh? I got a head like I've been sleeping under a buffalo. Yeah. Well, you don't deserve it, but I brought you some coffee. I put it right there. Uh, I'd do better on a pint of triple X. You sure learn hard, Nolly. Go away. Go away. Let me sleep, Chester. Hmm. Last time I scalded my thumb bringing in coffee... Well, how's our prisoner this morning, Chester? Well, I don't think it's the liquor so much as the way you hit him, Mr. Dillon. Well, he had it coming. He sure did. That knife couldn't have missed you more than an inch. I still don't know why you didn't shoot him. Well, how would it look for me to shoot somebody that didn't have a gun? Besides, I don't think Nolly really knew what he was doing. I ain't sure he knows yet. Good morning, Matt. Chester. Oh, Doc. How's Zant coming along, Doc? Well, that's what I came to tell you, Matt. Zant's going to live. Huh? He's going to be awful thin for a while, but, but he'll live. Uh, bring Nolly in here, will you, Chester? Yes, you. Nothing vital was cut, Matt, but the man bled so much. It took me over an hour to get it stopped. For a while there, I thought he'd surely die. You know, it's too bad there isn't some way to get blood back into a man when he loses that much. Well, I don't know how you could do that, Doc. Oh, if I could. I'd save twice as many lives as I do. Well, I'm going to go to bed, Matt. It's been a long night. Thanks for coming, Don, Doc. Complaining about sleeping, Holly. You just escaped years and years of it, whole centuries. I'll take that on any time, Chester. 
What do you want, Marshal? You sober enough now to tell me why you took your knife to the sand last night, Nolly? Personal matter? Well, maybe you better tell me whether it's personal or not. I'm not going to turn you loose to go stab him again. Turn me loose? You didn't kill Zant. He's going to live. Now, what were you fighting about? A woman. Is that all? You got something against women, Marshal? That's not what I meant. I've known you for a long time, Nolan. You never seem like the kind of a man who'd try to kill somebody over a woman. When I'm drunk, I get mean, Marshal. I'll fight over anything. Even a woman, huh? Now you're fogging me up again, Marshal. Okay. Why did you know Zant? We've both been working for Ezra Marcy. Collecting buffalo bones? We gather them up off the prairie and bring them back to Dodge and sell them to Marcy. And he ships them back east on the railroad. It's beyond me how they can make fertilizer in China and stuff out of them old buffalo bones. Nolly, you and Zant work together, is that it? No. I got my own wagon. He's got his. But I still don't like him. You gonna leave him alone? Marshal, I wouldn't hurt nobody less than I was crazy drunk. You tried to kill me too, do you know that? I did? Oh, Mar- Marshal, I don't believe that. You threw your boy knife at me. And you're lucky I didn't shoot you. I shouldn't have done that. Well, you start drinking again and I'll throw you in jail as soon as I see you. All right, you can go now, Nolly. But you came awful close to hanging. You just remember that. Well, my pa always said I'd hang. I won't cause no more trouble, Marshal. So long. So long, Chester. Goodbye, Nolly. Mr. Dillon... You believe that about them fighting over a woman? Oh, there might be more to it than that, Chester. Why don't you ask Zant about it? Well, if Nolly's lying, Zant will lie, too. But whatever they were fighting about, I doubt that it's over. He hurt Zant too bad for that. You waiting for the stage to come in? No. No, I just got tired sitting in my office. That's a funny thing about your job. No? You're either doing nothing, sitting in your office, or standing around the plaza like some bum. Or you're the most violent man in Kansas. (laughs) Well, it's a good thing I don't get paid by the job, isn't it? You'd starve. (laughs) Oh! Hello, Marshal. Hello, John. But still, nobody could ever pay me enough to go against Noly Meeker and his knife the way you did a couple of weeks ago. Well, I could have shot him, Kitty. No, you couldn't. Not you. Just what'll get you hurt someday, Matt. Or worse. Look, Kitty, I'll die when my time comes, just like everybody else. Matt, I'll feel better when I get some breakfast. Oh, haven't you eaten yet? I don't get up as early as some people. <laughs> I'll go with you, Kitty. I could use a cup of coffee myself. Oh, wait. Here comes Ezra Marcy. Looks huh? like he wants you. Morning, Miss Kitty. 
Marshal. Hello, Marcy. Marcy. I got a job for you, Marshal. Oh. I wish I'd never made a deal with them men. Neither one of them. You mean Sant and Olimaker? Damn. They've been complaining and fighting more than they've been gathering buffalo bones for me. Oh, why don't you deal with somebody else? Most men would rather hunt for hides than bones, Marshal. Pays better. I buy both, so it don't matter to me, but even so, Zant ain't been much use since Noli cut him up. Now he, he, he ain't no use at all. Why not? Noli's got a shack down past the opera house at the edge of town, Marshal. Let's go ask him. He got drunk again last night. I thought you were talking about Zant. It's about Zant I want to talk to Noli. Oh, why do you need me? Noli killed him, Marshal. What? His aunt was doing with a wagon load of bones this morning, and he was late. So I rode up the river to look for him. And I found him, sitting on his wagon with a hole through him, like a sharp's 50 he'd make. You think Noli did it? Well, Noli tried to kill him before, didn't he? And he come in with a load of bones yesterday, and I paid him off, and he went and got drunk. Of course, Snowley killed him. Does Snowley have a Sharps 50? He used to be a hide hunter until he got tired of it. And it was a Sharps that killed Sandra. Anybody can tell that. Yeah, I guess they could. That Snowley Meeker's a murderer, Marshal. You go arrest him. Did you leave Sand at the river, Marcy? I ain't gonna bury him. Come along and show me where he is. All right, I'll send somebody out to bury him. But let's go find Snowley. I don't want no murderer to get away. I'll talk to Noli later. No. No, we'll get him first. We're going to the river, Marcy. Now. I went by the office and picked up Chester, and he and I followed Marcy up the river. Zant had stopped in a little cottonwood grove, apparently to water his oxen, a couple of miles above Dodge. And we found him there. Slumped over the seat of his big Studebaker wagon, shot in the back. The wagon, piled high with sun-bleached buffalo bones, was headed toward the river. But the oxen had stopped when Zant was hit, and were standing patiently, waiting for their next command. We laid Zant's body onto the sand, and then I had Chester lead the oxen down to the water. A few minutes later, he was back. Barry's hand out here, Mr. Dillon. Well, it's as good a place as any. While we're fooling around here, Noli's probably on the run. I'll find him, Marcy. But I don't know how I'm going to prove he did it. Well, you got all the proof you need. What if he's got a good alibi? What if he can prove he was someplace else when this happened? Marshal, I ain't going to miss Zan. But I ain't going to watch a murderer go free, neither. I'm kind of against murder myself, Marcy. You're awful slow showing it. Wasting time coming out here and all this talk about proof and such. I'm telling you, Marshal, if you don't see Noli Meeker hung for this, I will. Lynch talks something I won't stand for, Marcy. Now, don't make it around me and don't start making it around Dodge. You're threatening me, Marshal. I don't threaten people. I warn them. Now, you know me. You know what I mean. We'll go find Noli and see what he has to say. Tester. Yes, sir. We'll send somebody out for the wagon and those oxen. They can stand here a while longer. They've had their water. Well, you know, that that's the funny thing, Mr. Dillon. Them oxen didn't drink no water. They didn't? No, sir. And they hadn't been to the river, neither. 
There wasn't no track between where they were standing and the river. And why was Zant heading them toward the river? I don't know. But you'd think Zant would have known if they wasn't thirsty. Of course he would. Well, I guess it don't matter much, Mr. Dillon. I'm not so sure, Chester. I'm not sure at all. And let's go find Noli. This is it, Marshal, right here. I just hope Noli ain't awake and watching us out of one of them crags. You can ride back if you like, Marcy. No, no, I want to be here when you talk to him. Okay. talk to you, Nolly. What's Marcy here for? You're still drunk, ain't you? No, I ain't drunk. I done slept it off. Were you drunk last night, Nolly? I didn't cause no trouble last night. Were you drunk? Of course I was. I didn't see you in any of the saloons. I was out here, sitting on the ground. I was sitting right there against the wall, me and a friend of mine down to jug of corn whiskey. Took this most all night. What did you want to know for? You had a friend with you? He was here till about an hour or two ago. Who was it? Well, you don't know him. He's an old Indian, a Cheyenne. Where is he now? He's on his way home. Where? Absaroka Mountains. Absaroka Mountains in Wyoming? Well, that's what you're doing here. Looking for him because he run off the reservation down south. Well, you won't find him, Marshal. That old Cheyenne's traveling alone and he lives like a wolf. You'll never find him. No, I don't expect we could. Well, there goes his alibi. Alibi? What are you talking about? About Zant's murder. Zant's murder? You'll hang for it now. Wait a minute, Marcy. Zant was shot in the back with a Sharps 50 this morning, Nolly. A couple of miles up the river. Marshal, you're thinking I did it? Well, you tried to do it once before. I didn't kill him, Marshal. When I was to kill a man, I wouldn't do it that way. I ain't no coward. Arrest him, Marshal. He can do his talking in jail. I didn't do it, I tell you. You know I ain't that kind of a man. I ain't a good man, but I ain't like that. Okay, Nolly. I believe you. I couldn't prove it anyway. Now, look here. Shut up, Marcy. And you remember what I told you. I don't want to hear any talk out of you. Come on, Chester, there's something I want to do in town.
Where are you after down here to the depot, Mr. Dillon? Well, I want to talk to Sam Vestal, just... Just hope he's in. Uh, hello, Marshal. Chester. Come on in. All right, Sam. Fine, Chester. What can I do for you, Marshal? Sam is agent for the Santa Fe Railroad. I figured that you might know something about Ezra Marcy's bone shipments out of here. Uh, well, what is it you want to know, Marshal? Well, I want to know if there's been any trouble about him. There sure has. But how do you know? Marcy told me not to say anything about it. Tell me about the trouble, Sam. Well, the buyers back east have been calling Marcy a crook. But I know he ain't, Marshal. I weigh them loads myself, and I'll personally guarantee they ain't short on weight when they leave here. But they are short when they arrive back there, huh? Mm, some of them are. Uh-huh. Zance. How'd you know that? I guessed it. Well, you're right. I checked on it for Marcy, and it's the loads Bill Zant brings in that come up short back east. Marcy pays Zant by the load, doesn't he? Sure, sure, but it made Marcy terrible mad being called a crook like that when he ain't one. If you ask me, maybe it's them fellas back east. They're the crooks. All Marcy wants is to be paid for the weight of the bones he ships out of here. They come up short back there. Ain't his fault. Uh-huh. Well, thanks, Sam. I'll go talk to Marcy about it. I, uh... I think maybe I can straighten this whole business out now. <laughs> Marcy's coming, Mr. Dillon. I found him in the Texas Trail. You know what he was doing. What, Chester? Stirring up a bunch of men in there about how they gotta go get Noli Meeker. He was telling them you ain't gonna do nothing about it. I'm gonna do something about it. Here he comes. It's no use, Marshal. You can't stop me now. I already got ten men in there on my side. Well, that's 11 to 1 against Noli, isn't it? We shouldn't have much trouble taking him. Except for one thing. You ain't gonna stop us. I'm stopping you right now. All I gotta do is yell. They'll be out here, Marshal. Marcy, I had a talk with Sam Vestal down at the depot. What? The bones Zant's been hauling in. They've been losing weight on their way back east. All right. So he told you... That's my trouble, Marshal. I'll handle it. You've already handled it. What are you talking about? You're scared to death, aren't you? I don't know what you're saying. Those oxen weren't thirsty at the river. Zant wasn't headed for water because of them. It was to soak those sun-dried buffalo bones. You figured it out too, didn't you? Waterlogged, they weigh in heavy here, but by the time they're weighed again back east, they're dried out. Zant was a crook. Yeah, sure he was. But you shouldn't have murdered him, Marcy. Me? Murder him? I'm arresting you for it. Oh, no. No, you ain't. I'm going to take your gun, Marcy. No. No. He shouldn't have tried that, Mr. Dillon. He's about the poorest gunfighter I ever saw. Uh, He was slow, Chester. But he'd have killed me if I'd let him. Why'd you try it? 
I don't know how you could have proved he murdered Giant anyway. I couldn't. But Marcy was feeling so guilty and so scared he didn't stop to think. If he had, he might have bluffed the whole thing out and gone free. Now it was his own guilt that did him in, Chester. under the direction of Norman MacDonald stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Bill James and Ray Kemper. Featured in the cast were John Daner, Herb Ellis, and Frank Cady. Marley Bear is Chester, Howard McNair is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, Likes to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Tuberculosis can attack at any age, and it can invade any home, rich or poor. But Christmas seals fight tuberculosis. Help protect you, your family, and all of us from our country's number one infectious killer. This year, use Christmas seals on your cards and packages. Why not go home for the holidays with Perry Como? That's the title of Perry's new RCA hit record, and he'll sing it for you next week when Chesterfield brings you all the top tunes on radio. Perry invites you to be his guest every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and reminds you to get a carton of Chesterfield for the weekend. Remember, listen again next week for another story of the Western frontier when Marshal Matt Dillon, Chester Proudfoot, Doc and Kitty, together with all the other hard-living citizens of Dodge, will be with you once more. It's America growing west in the 1870s. It's drama. It's gun smoke. Brought to you by L and M Filters. This is the CBS Radio Network. From December 11th, 1954, the name of that episode was The Bone Hunters on Gunsmoke. and keep you always May your wishes all come true May you always do for others and let others do for you May you build a ladder to the stars and climb on every rung and may you stay See the light surrounding you 
bright and be strong and may you stay that has just about run us out of time so let's take all of our shows and safely and securely return them to the vault That's going to kick things in the head for another week. We uh, shall be back with you in two weeks with all new shows, and I hope that uh, you'll be here waiting for us with bated breath. I want to thank Chester and all the people here that uh, helped me put this together. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I am so glad you met me. 